Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good advice is what we turn to Rohit Gupta for when it comes to understanding how a real investor thinks through the choices that he or she has to make in this world. He's the author of Keep It Simple Stupid Kiss, Stocks to Build Your Second Source of Income. It's based on the acronym uh, Keep It Simple Stupid, which, you know, I think is a great Great way to pretty much make your way through life. Write crisply. Speak crisply. Why use 20 words when you can use one to get your thoughts across? So it's a really great book. Still available on our bookshelves. You can pick it up there on Amazon, I believe, as well. Today, we're going to find out what you need to know about investing in an inflationary environment. Is inflation set to bite? I mean, there's been a lot of the different reopening paces. Economies across the globe uh, has led to a surge that we've seen in inflation. And some analyst that I've spoken to says this could be higher and last longer than we expect. So we're already seeing inflation's knock-on effects on energy prices. But uh, how do you invest if the numbers do get ugly? That's what we're going to find out today. And how do you hedge against inflation? Should you be looking at small cap companies? What sort of moves can you look at making it? How can you best protect your money as prices rise? So a lot to get through. First up, let's say welcome to Rohit Gupta. Good morning, Rohit. Hi, good morning, Michelle, uh, and thank you for having me back. Rohit has 30 years of international experience in financial services. He worked through many financial crises, including the 1997 Asian financial crisis and the global economic meltdown of 2007. So, Rohit, you're uniquely positioned to help us understand where we are at this juncture of history. So, in a possibly inflationary environment, Rohit, how can I, as an investor, best think through the components that I need for my my portfolio. We know gold has not been doing well. What are some possible hedges I can think through? No, thank you. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Uh, as you know, I'm a proponent of investing in stocks uh, for the best long-term returns. Over the long term, uh, they have provided the highest rate of returns across all asset classes. In a sense, with stocks, you participate in the growth of the global economy, uh, which has had an upturn trend over the last century. Right. I mean, people, you know, have, there's a lot of statistics over the last hundred years and different world wars and uh, pandemics uh, and economic crises. But even if I look like you refer to, even if I look at my personal career and my investment uh, horizon for the last 30 years, I've been quite fortunate to have lived and worked in seven different countries through multiple economic crises, health crises, uh, business transformations. And through that, the stock markets have always returned the highest rate of returns. So I was, you know, living and working in Jakarta in 1997 when we had the Asian financial meltdown and the Suharto crisis. Oh. Uh, I moved to Singapore in 2000 and we had the SARS crisis. I was in Malaysia when we had the 2008 global financial crisis. Mexico City when we had uh, the swine flu. Uh, Istanbul uh, when we had in 2010 uh, when we had the euro bond crisis. And now happy to be back in Singapore, but as you know, we're living through COVID. You've lived through some interesting times, Rohit. (laughs) But if you really look at that, the S&P 500 just this year is up 25%. In the last one year, I think we're up about 29-30%. In the last three years, about 70%. In the last five years, I think around 120 plus percent. Mm. Last 10 years, about 250%. Last 20 
years, about 320%. So, you know, you can take any 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 horizon and while there are obviously a lot of short-term volatility and uh, downturns, uh, through the cycle, I think the stock markets have provided the best long-term returns. The other thing I would say is risk is not about minimizing short-term volatility, but really your biggest risk is you know, not being able to maximize your long-term returns. This is again where I think a total portfolio approach of putting long-term investments where they earn the highest maximum returns, uh, you, you know, will probably work best uh, for, for most people, uh, particularly when it comes to long-term financial planning and retirement planning. So if you have your money distributed across a lo- you know, a whole host of uh, assets, you know, bank deposits, foreign currency, mutual funds, Stocks, you know, in some cases may also have alternative funds, right? Uh, Timeshares, cryptocurrency. Maybe even invest in your in your friends' uh, coffee cafe. Mm. I mean, effectively, what you end up doing is taking the risk of diluting the yield. Yeah. I think it's best to really invest for the long term uh, in, in the stock markets to get the best uh, long term returns. So keep having faith in the stock market. I mean, if global inflation it does take off, the pain for consumers is going to be real. Um, and it's maybe harder and harder to keep putting money in the stock market uh, if you have such a diverse platform, a portfolio of your investing in your friend's business and, and the <laughs> likes, right? You've got to focus. So, you know, at a time like this, how can we best think through, okay, what are the must-haves and what else are, are all you know, considered alternatives? So I think the stock markets are, again, probably the best hedge against inflation. Having said that, uh, you know, it's very difficult to time these and predict these. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, most of the, uh, you know, central banks, including MAS and Singapore and mm-hmm. the Fed, are, are very cognizant uh, to inflation coming back. Uh, though we are still coming off a very low base and, you know, how long it takes. Uh, but, but, but I think it will probably have a larger impact in bonds, if anything. But, you know, stocks... Uh, because they're investing in real, uh, you know, companies and, you know, companies who are doing real business who have the pricing power to, to price for inflation. Mm. I think stocks are probably still the best uh, best way to go. Uh, gold has not been doing well, Rohit. So what are some safe havens if I'm not keen on an aggressive portfolio? I'm not an aggressive investor. I'm really looking long term over 30 years and I, I'm really concerned about hedging. From my perspective, or my um, you know my guidance to 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 you know most people is your your real risk is not your short term volatility. Like like you very rightly said, you know we are, you know we are all looking to investment over a long term horizon, and even in retirement, hmm. right? We'll probably have a retirement life of over thirty years, mm-hmm. right? So you have to look through the long term, and in the long term, there is no better asset than uh, than than stocks. So to that extent, you know, that is a diversified long-term safe play. Having said that, obviously, the way to diversify in the stock market, again, I would think is, is you know, to, to uh, go into a, a low-cost index fund. I mean, it's, yes. it's interesting that, you know, Warren Buffett in his, in his latest uh, Berkeley Hats, uh, Hathaway, you know, letter. annual uh, mm-hmm. letter actually mm-hmm. talked about that the best investment for, for most retail investors today is the S&P 500 index. And he actually recommended that even over buying into Berkshire Hathaway shares, right? So these are, these are very mm. diversified companies. You know, it's 500 companies across uh, all industries, all sectors, 
most of them are global companies so they actually do business in china india europe latin america it's not just the us uh and and therefore you get a fair amount of diversification yeah and as some industries do better and some industries do worse or you know as some companies get in and out of the uh, s&p 500 you automatically rebalance and you mm. really rebalance in a very cost effective manner uh, so i would think that uh, you know that is probably the safest kind of long-term diversification. That's a great lesson. In fact, Buffett has shared that the trustee in charge of his estate has been told to invest 90% of his money when he passes into the S&P 500 and 10% in treasury bills. And the trustee is meant to do this for his wife when Buffett passes. So he says, I just think the best thing to do is buy 90% in an S&P 500 index fund. And just a couple of days ago, just to share, Rohit, we had a guest on from the States. And, you know, she, last year, I think her real estate firms managed about $1 billion assets under management. And she started with, as a hairdresser with $5 haircuts until she met someone who told her about investing. And she put all her money in the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF. And over the span of 20 years, you know, by consistently um, putting money into just that one ETF was able to build her wealth. And she's a self-made millionaire right now. So great to hear about. I mean, well, what, a, what, a, what a nice story. But, but that's really what it is. <laughs> It's all about compound interest and time. Isn't it? Yeah. Because that gives you access to a diversified group of equities. All right, let's look at our next question. And listeners, you can send me your questions, by the way. We won't put them to Rohit today. But you can send me your list, uh, questions. I'll compile them um, for our guests. I'm at Michelle Martin Radio. You can send them to me right now. There's so many online brokerages today, Rohit. Can you help us with the nuts and bolts of which one to pick, basically. I mean, some of these brokerages don't expect you to have a CDP account, you know? They're global, maybe pay directly to your PayPal account. So what do you think, Rohit? Can I use any platform to trade? Do I need one that's linked to a CDP account? Okay, so so obviously, I mean, before investing in stocks, one needs to open a brokerage account. Um, you know, just like, you know, before you can issue checks to someone, you need to have a checking account or a saving account, right? So a brokerage account is really a special account that allows you to buy and sell stocks, ETFs, REITs, bonds, right? The brokerage account effectively acts as a middle platform that allows you to invest through it. Over and above that, for trading on, on the Singapore Stock Exchange, one also needs a CDP account or what's called a central depository account. These are accounts operated by the Singapore Stock Exchange and act as a safe for all your stocks, uh, which, are, which can be bought through any financial institution in Singapore. So they are all actually put into one account and therefore you can see your, uh, your exposure or your investments across multiple platforms that you may have. What it really allows you is to provide some additional security, you know, all investments across, all, uh, your, across multiple financial institutions in one consolidated account. This is a new initiative taken by MAS and the financial institutions. And, you know, Singapore has actually set up a pretty good uh, infrastructure here, which is using the public digital infrastructure, and our NRIC, the national ID, mm-hmm. to consolidate financial assets across I think seven large banks in, in, in Singapore uh, in, into one place. So you have that safety and you have, you know, you have a single, single view. Um, India has a similar thing called DMAT accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, to, to, to invest in U.S. stock markets, you don't necessarily need to open a, a, a CDC account. You can continue to uh, operate with your brokerage account uh, with, with your financial institutions. 
again, like you said, there are obviously a host of online brokerage accounts, uh, including large fund houses like Fidelity or online like Schwab or E-Trade or interactive brokers. The newer brokerage companies like Robinhood, or in Singapore we have Indoas, Stashaway, Stife, or Saxo, Tiger Brokers, Philip Capital, and obviously all the banks in Singapore also offer brokerage accounts, right? That's DBS Vikers or OCBC Securities or UOB, I think it's called UOB Kehin, uh, Citibank, etc. I I would just say that it's important to use a licensed broker, uh, you know, with a regulatory approval. So use someone. Uh, who has uh, approval from MAS to have a brokerage account in Singapore. Uh, and beyond that, uh, you know, obviously I can't, uh, I can't recommend a single, uh, uh, you know, company yes, or, or a brokerage mm-hmm. house, but I think as long as they're regulated and authorized by MAS, you should be safe. Okay, great. So, but if someone chooses to go with a brokerage without a CDP account because they've clicked through on YouTube and it's very easy to do that these days, you know, um, what do they need to know about the safety of their money? Is their money safe? So if you're buying uh, stocks on, on the Singapore Stock Exchange, you need to have a CDP account. So, so that is a requirement by MAS. On the other hand, if you're buying stocks or, or earning financial assets outside of Singapore, uh, you know, for India, you need a DMAT account. So it depends on which stock market you're buying on. But on the U.S. stock market, basically your online financial um, institution uh, will have their own brokerage account and, you know, they'll consolidate and have the holdings on your behalf. And as long as that FI has an MAS approval or an MAS license to, op- uh, to offer brokerage accounts in Singapore, uh, you you are safe. Uh, obviously, I would not recommend you just pick up uh, an account uh, ad hoc on on, on uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. which may not operate in Singapore or mm-hmm. which may not have an MAS license. Okay, great. I want to come back to an earlier question about uh, ETFs. So here's someone bewildered by the the universe of um, an S and P ETF. How do I pick from the many names involved? There's a Vanguard 500 Index Fund, you know, uh, SPDR S and P 500 Trust, Fidelity 500 Index Fund. Help us make sense of all the different options when it comes to investing in an S and P ETF, Rohit. So, so, so good question. Uh, first, I would just say that, you know, there's a separation between an ETF and an index fund. Uh, both offer uh, S&P 500 uh, options to invest in, right? But we need to understand there's a small difference between, you know, how an ETF works versus how an index fund works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and without going into the legalities of how they're structured, it really depends on what you are looking at. So if you're looking at just to replicate the returns of an index, then obviously the ETF and the index fund uh, are, are quite similar. Uh, however, you know, if you, you know, an ETF, you can actually, you know, buy like any other uh, um, financial inst- in- instrument on the stock market, and you can buy it intraday, and the prices go up and down on a, on you know, on a minute by minute basis, right? Uh, index funds actually most uh, most fund houses only calculate the NAV and, and 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 the sale and repurchase price at the end of every day, so they only provide it daily. So if you're looking at, you know, an interday trade or you want to buy it at a specific price control, then obviously ETFs have that, that advantage. At the same time, you know, most index funds have, have a minimum dollar investment amount. Uh, with ETFs, you don't have that. So, you know, with ETFs, you can actually even start the investments with a smaller amount. Having said that, if you actually have a monthly savings plan or you want an automated dividend uh, reinvestments, 
then index funds do that for you. For ETFs, you have to actually trade every time and you obviously pay a brokerage fee every time you trade. So for monthly savings or automated dividend investments, index funds, uh, you, you know, maybe, maybe may offer you a better uh, option. Uh, like you said, you know, obviously there are lots of index funds and ETFs. The largest ones for index funds are obviously the Fidelity 500, the Schwab S&P 500, the Vanguard 500, and State Street. Uh, I think the oldest one, if I'm not mistaken, is, is Fidelity 500, which was about 1988. Mm. Uh, and I think Schwab S&P 500 probably had the lowest expense ratio. So the differences are not much. You know, it's 0.02% versus 0.04%. So effectively, any one of these... You, you know, will work for you and depending on, you know, who your brokerage is or if you have other investments, any, any of these uh, mutual funds, you could safely choose any of these. In terms of ETFs, the three largest ones are, are you know, offered by Straight Street, uh, what is called a SPY, uh, the, the spider. Uh, you have the iShares, uh, the ETF 500, uh, which is uh, with the uh, ticker symbol of IVV. And then obviously you have the Vanguard S&P 500 with the ticker symbol of VOO. Again, I think the, uh, the uh, um, uh, iShares and Vanguards are probably slightly lower expense uh, ratios than, than the S&P 500, uh, the Spider or the ticker symbol SPY. But uh, most of them, you know, they're very, very marginal when it comes to retail investors. You will not really see the difference on expenses. It's only the large institutional investors there are very small uh, difference in expense ratios or, or trading costs uh, can make an impact. So I think any one of these three uh, can work for you. Uh, Vanguard, uh, you know, without necessarily recommending one over the other, actually has a patent uh, on, on the S&P 500 ETF uh, with the ticker simple VOO. Wow. So they, can, they actually club it with their index fund so they can combine the two together uh, to actually get benefits of, of uh, even a lower expense ratio. And it also has some tax advantages in terms of dividend reinvestments and redemptions. Uh, but again, it's quite marginal. So any of the three ETFs uh, will actually work quite well. Thank you. Such great insights. And by the way, listeners, yesterday we did a deep dive. We looked at the stock chart of the Vanguard ETF over a 10-year period. So if you'd like to see that chart, you can check us out on YouTube. That video should be up pretty soon. May yeah. I just add one more caveat to, yes. to S&P 500 ETF? Sure. Uh, and, you know, it's it's also because there's a lot of noise about this uh, recently. What I would like to actually caution against is which are called leverage funds that are actually advertised at S&P 500 ETFs. What is, what is Le- those? Le- leverage ETFs use borrowed money or derivative securities to amplify the investment returns or bet against the index. For example, a 2x leverage S&P 500 ETF aims to return twice the index performance each day. So the index rises by 2%, the ETF rises by 4%. My goodness. On the other hand, if the index rises by, it falls by 3%, the ETF falls by 6%. However, what I'd like to you know, just make sure that your listeners are aware of, hmm. that these products are intended to be day trading instruments and have an inherent downside bias over the long term. In other words, the 2S leverage S&P 500 ETF over the long term will not return twice the index performance. It's just a daily return. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would would take a step forward and say investing in the S&P 500 index funds is one of the safest ways to build wealth over the long term. Leverage ETFs, even Mm -hmm. those that track the S&P 500, 
are probably a little bit more risky and don't belong in the long-term portfolio for most retail investors. Great points, great points. So a leverage uh, ETF, the losses are infinite basically, right? In terms of I mean, they're, they're, they're amplified. Mm-hmm. They're amplified. And, and actually over the long term, they have actually had a, a, a worse performance than just a, just a vanilla S&P 500 fund. And they're different from a reverse ETF. So you can have a reverse ETF that's not le- leveraged, right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Got it. All right. Finally, uh, Rohit, help us out. I was on a panel discussion recently and some uh, wonderful institutional investors that I spoke with had very different views on retail uh, post-COVID, in a post-COVID world. So retail assets, whether, you know, we're talking about REITs, whether we're talking about uh, the shopping malls, maybe for the benefit of the listeners, we, we bring it down to, to this whole um, sphere of shopping malls. In Asia, a lot of us go to these malls because they're almost experiential, right? They're places to escape to, you know, the house may be hot, the, the mall's comfortable, um, but more and more of us are buying things online and finding less reason to have to go to the mall. What are your views? Do you think the retail space is a post-COVID loser? So again, you know, I just want to make sure I've understood your question well. So if I'm looking at REITs as, as separate from just commercial space, uh, you know, most of the current um, you know, information on, on REITs, right, and most of the current correspondence of REITs are basically taking the view that REITs are well positioned uh, to take advantage of a growing economy because they entered the crisis with historically strong balance sheets and access to credit and liquidity. Nevertheless, like you said, uncertainties remain. Most critically, how will the future of office use revolve as firms return to the office and experiment with the hybrid and work-from-home arrangements? Right. Mm-hmm. Another topic of widespread discussion is the potential threat, uh, like you started this call with, on, on inflation. REITs tend to perform well uh, if inflation should increase. Historical REITs have outperformed in periods of mod- moderate and high inflation, uh, while providing competitive return in periods of low inflation. So that's that basically, uh, you know, how I would uh, take a position on, you know, what what may happen to commercial real estate and REITs, um, you know, going forward. Okay. And this is not limited to S-REITs that you're talking about. This is REITs in general. REITs in general, yes. All right. Well, thank you as always for your insights, Rohit. We appreciate it. Have a great Wednesday ahead. Thank you, Michelle. And nice talking to you again. Have a good day. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.